You are listening to Episode 2 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello everyone, this is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. A passage from the Discourses of Epictetus. A virtuous and good person, keeping in mind who he is and where he has come from and by whom he was created, concentrates on one thing alone, how he may fill his post in a disciplined manner, remaining obedient to God. Discourses 3, 24, 95. I grew up watching The Wizard of Oz every year as it was broadcast on live TV. I always loved the scene where Dorothy, the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow enter the scary forest. As a young child, I was gripped by the almost palpable fear in Dorothy's voice as she asked the Tin Man, Do you suppose we'll meet any wild animals? This is the prelude to the famous scene where the trio skips through the forest, chanting, Lions and tigers and bears, oh my! The tension of the scene mounts until a lion bursts from the forest and confronts the trio with loud roars. Dorothy responded to the impression of the roaring lion by running and hiding behind a tree. Tin Man raised his axe in anticipation of an imminent attack, and Scarecrow fell over backward, trembling with fear. Fortunately, it did not take long for the trio to discover this was a false impression, and there was no reason to fear this lion. He was all roar and no bite. In fact, after a brief, tense introduction, the lion became their friend and trusted traveling companion for the remainder of the journey to the city of Oz. As strange as this admittedly sounds, this scene from The Wizard of Oz brings to mind my early experience with the Stoic texts in 2011. I had been a committed atheist for more than 20 years by the time I was introduced to Stoicism, and I was not just a mere agnostic. I was what I would fairly call an anti-theist as a result of my personal experience with organized religion as a young man. Therefore, as I turned the pages of Marcus Aurelius' meditations, I found myself in the midst of my own scary theological forest filled with Logos and Providence and God. Oh my! I was not prepared to face my aversion to these religious bogeymen, and I nearly turned away and ran from Stoicism a second time. You see, I had tried to read Marcus's meditations more than a decade prior to this date in 2011, but my aversion to anything remotely religious made me incapable of dealing with the God talk I found within its pages. So I returned it to my bookshelf. Now here I was, more than a decade later, in that same scary theological forest. This time, however, there was a sense of desperation. I was grasping for something to make sense of my life, and Jonathan Haidt's book, The Happiness Hypothesis, pointed to the wisdom of Stoicism for guidance. Therefore, I purchased and read William Irvine's A Guide to the Good Life and Lawrence Becker's A New Stoicism, where I discovered an affinity for Stoic psychological and ethical principles and practices. However, neither of these books included any of this God talk I was confronted with in Marcus's meditations. At first, I hoped Marcus would get over this, get it out of his system in the early pages of his diary to himself, but alas, the God talk did not cease, and there it was on nearly every page. Logos and Providence and God. Oh my. In my ignorance about the Stoics, I thought this might be limited to the writings of Marcus Aurelius. 
Therefore, I turned to Epictetus's discourses, hoping to find some reprieve from the God talk. Oh my, was I in for a big surprise. Marcus's emphasis on a relationship with the divine and providential cosmos paled in comparison to Epictetus's personal piety and relationship with the divinity he referred to in very personal language. I recoiled each time I read the word God. Worse, the concept of providence truly made my skin crawl. Nevertheless, Lawrence Becker and William Irvine had convinced me that Stoic theology was not essential to the practice of Stoicism, so I continued my effort to glean what I could from the Stoic texts while ignoring the God talk. Late in 2011, I enrolled in the Stoic Essential Studies course offered by the College of Stoic Philosophers Online. I remained firm in my atheism throughout that course by naturalizing Stoic concepts like Logos and Numa as much as possible. I simply ignored the word providence because, like Becker, I considered it an untenable concept for moderns. Finally, each time I encountered the word God in the Stoic texts, I mentally replaced it with the word nature in my mind. God and nature are synonymous in Stoicism, therefore this seemed to be a reasonable substitution. Upon completion of the SES course, my atheism was still intact, and I was still excited about what Stoicism had to offer. I wanted to learn more, so I enrolled in the year-long Marcus Aurelius School at the College of Stoic Philosophers. Eric Weigart was my mentor during the SES course, and now he served as my tutor at the MA School. During the second term of Marcus Aurelius School, I dove into the physics of Stoicism, and I soon discovered that Stoic physics includes theology. Oh my. It soon became clear that I was not going to find any reprieve from these theological concepts because they were an integral part of the Stoic philosophical system I was studying and the Stoic way of life I was attempting to live. Ultimately, I realized I was facing a choice. If I wanted to practice Stoicism the way the ancients did, I could not simply ignore or set aside the Stoic conception of the cosmos, as Becker and Irvine suggested. The Stoic conception of the cosmos, including their theology, is an integral part of the holistic system known as Stoicism. The concepts cannot be redacted or ignored without affecting Stoic ethics and the Stoic way of life in some way. Now that I was reading the Stoic texts and the scholarship on those texts, I could see that the departures from the traditional form of Stoicism by people like Becker and Irvine were significant. When they abandoned the Stoic worldview, they changed Stoic theory and practice at a fundamental level. I knew the ancients warned against deconstructing their system, and offered similes of an egg, an animal, and an orchard to argue it could not be done without damaging the whole. However, until I read the Stoic texts for myself, I did not realize how different those texts were from the modern versions offered by people like Becker and Irvine. They were not simply updating Stoicism for moderns, they were redacting the Stoic worldview along with its theology to make Stoicism palatable for secularists like I was. I appreciated their efforts, and I still think that their efforts are quite viable and valuable to many moderns. I would not, in fact, have engaged Stoicism if I thought that it required some kind of belief in God or conscious providential cosmos at the time that I did engage, because I was quite averse to those ideas. Therefore, secularized versions of Stoicism serve a need, and many people find satisfaction in them and feel no need to venture into the scary theological forest of Stoicism. I was simply not one of them. As strong as my aversion to concepts like Logos and Providence and God were at the time, I was driven by my own intellectual curiosity. I soon realized that 
I was facing a choice that I did not anticipate. I could remain committed to my atheism and move forward with a modern version of Stoicism like those found in the writings of Irvine and Becker, or I could attempt what I had previously considered unthinkable. I could give the ancient version of Stoicism, including its theology, some open-minded consideration. The latter option was a difficult task for a committed atheist, I admit that. Fortunately, my mentor, Eric Weigart, did not push Stoic theology on me. He simply allowed the Stoic texts to speak for themselves. The Marcus Aurelius School was not designed to convert anybody, and it simply presents the Stoic doctrines unapologetically and leaves the choice to the student. I faced this existential choice alone. It was a time of genuine intellectual and existential struggle for me. I learned how difficult it is to set the cognitive biases of a worldview aside long enough to even consider another possibility, like that offered by the ancient Stoics. Nevertheless, I did set aside my atheistic worldview long enough to consider the providential cosmos of ancient Stoicism and the God that was presented there. What I found was something quite different than what I expected. This was not the God of organized religion that I was so averse to. This was not a God issuing commandments. This was not a God intervening in human life. This was not the God of temples and priests and intercessors. This was a philosophical God, a God nonetheless, and I do not want to diminish the God of Stoicism in any way, but it was not the God that most people are afraid of when they read that word in the Stoic texts. Just like Dorothy, the Tin Man, and the Scarecrow, I had to overcome my initial first impression and realize that the God of Stoicism was not something that I had to fear. In fact, like they did with the lion that jumped out of the forest on them, I soon came to realize that the Stoic philosophical God could be a traveling companion. Unfortunately for many moderns, like me, words like God and Providence and Logos are triggers. They are laden with baggage, maybe from our childhood, maybe from our education. They're laden with biases and baggage that don't apply to Stoic theology. Now, I'm not suggesting that every atheist can come to Stoicism and to the theology of Stoicism and find it acceptable to them. Most will not. Quite frankly, the God of Stoicism is way too big for the average atheist, and it's way too small for the average monotheist. The philosophical God of the ancient Stoics sits in what I call the no-man's land between atheism and theism. While most scholars refer to it as pantheism, and that is probably the most accurate descriptor that we can apply, modern descriptor, because obviously pantheism was a term coined centuries after Stoicism was created, yet even pantheism is misunderstood in modern times, partly because the word has been distorted to some extent by atheists who try to turn it into scientific pantheism and and take the theos out of the word pantheos which to me is absurd, but unfortunately is a sign of our modern times where we can use words to mean whatever we want to. So as you continue to listen to this podcast, I'm going to ask that you open your mind to the concept of the Stoic divinity. Not asking you to believe anything. I'm not asking you to accept anything. Certainly not on faith. I don't believe there is a true position of, of faith, not in the way that that word is typically used in Stoicism. But there is a choice. There's a choice between viewing the cosmos as a fortuitous accident, like the Epicureans did, and the vast majority of modern scientists do today, or viewing the cosmos as 
having some form of intelligence within it, a mind-like background, as some scientists might say, a, an intelligence that guides and informs the cosmos. That choice is an existential choice. It's not a leap of faith. It's the same existential choice of believing that the world is a fortuitous accident. That cannot be proven, and we cannot prove providence. We cannot prove that there's some intelligence within the cosmos. It is a choice that we make to accept one worldview or the other. And again, I'm not arguing, I'm not trying to present a false dichotomy. I'm the, there are many choices, there are many variants, but ultimately it boils down to either there is some intelligence in the cosmos, there is some divinity, or there is not and everything is just a random accident. The traditional form of Stoicism, which this podcast is based upon, accepts that there is some intelligence, some guiding principle within the cosmos, and that we share in that. So as you continue to listen to the, the podcast, you're going to hear me use words like providence and God and logos, and I'm asking you not to be triggered by those. Give it some consideration. You may not believe it in the end. You may not accept it, and that's fine. There are a lot of moderns working on secularizing Stoicism, and they're doing a great job of that. And you can turn to one of those and be satisfied with that. Likewise, the monotheists, the, the people from Abrahamic faiths, might not find the god of Stoicism big enough for their needs, for their desires. That's, that's fine. I, I get that. But just keep in mind, there's another alternative. There is some place in between those two positions of atheism and theism. There is a large open space where Stoicism resides, along with a lot of other conceptions of the divine. But Stoicism is there. And if you're going to practice Stoicism and seriously study Stoicism, if nothing else, you need to understand what the Stoics meant when they used words like providence and God and logos, what they actually meant. If you turn away from them, that's fine. But having an understanding of what they mean will help you understand the texts, even if you decide to stick to a modern secular version of Stoicism. You may find that the philosophical god of Stoicism is too much god for you. Likewise, you may find that the philosophical god of Stoicism is not enough god for you. That's a choice that you're going to have to make. But just be aware that this podcast is dedicated to the Stoic conception of the divine. And that's pretty broad. There was a lot of disagreement, but there's a lot of commonality amongst the ancient Stoics too. And we're going to stick with the commonality. We're not going to get way out on tangents. But we're going to stick to the commonality, the common thread, which is largely pantheistic, a little bit of theism thrown in there, which uh, I will argue at some point makes it maybe a little bit more pandeistic than pantheistic. But the point is, is there's nothing supernatural, there's nothing to be afraid of if you'll give it some consideration. You may just find that your, oh my, might turn into, oh my, there's something valuable here. There's something important here. There's something here that adds value to my life, to my practice as a Stoic. You may just find an affinity for Stoicism on fire. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you'll find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is being discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes. That helps other people find this podcast and get introduced to the ancient spiritual practice of the Stoics. 
If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, please send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you'll continue exploring traditional stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.